those are all things that we as a huge, huge, huge purchaser of products and services can engage our uh, partners and vendors in a different way to really put climate change and climate health and tie it to, to health. Hello, and welcome to the Permanente Medicine Podcast. I'm Chris Grant, your host and Chief Operating Officer of the Permanente Federation. I'm happy to be back after pressing pause on our podcast to focus on Kaiser Permanente's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. What I've learned over the last few months is that it's important for us in the healthcare industry to share vital information and lean on each other. This episode is actually a flash from the past. We take this interview with Dr. Amelda DeConis, President and CEO of Northwest Permanente, late last year, months before the coronavirus pandemic consumed the healthcare industry and upended the everyday lives of practically all Americans. But our conversation about physician leadership and issues like climate change and social determinants of health still resonate today. So I hope you'll enjoy listening to my conversation with Dr. DeConis. Dr. DeConis joined Northwest Permanente in 1999 as a primary care physician in internal medicine and became a hospitalist full-time in 2002. After success in medical center and leadership roles, she was named to her current position as the chief executive officer and president of the medical group. Among many other accomplishments during her tenure, she has successfully led Northwest Permanente to its recognition as a certified B Corporation, the first physician-led B Corporation in the world. She is an inspiring physician leader, and it's a great pleasure to work with her over the years. Good afternoon, Imelda, and thank you for joining us. Wow, what an introduction, Chris. I feel tired and exhausted already, and I think I'm ready to retire. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, I'm really pleased to spend some time with you today. And oh, I'm, thanks. And you and I have sat together through many, many meetings, work dinners, and we've traveled extensively, and we've talked about our families and some of our personal interests. Can you share a little bit about yourself with our audience so they can get to know you better? So I would start with I immigrated to this country when I was 10 years old into Honolulu, Hawaii. And, you know, one of my memories about coming to the U.S., I was on a Pan Am flight to Honolulu. Remember Pan oh, Am? I do. Right? And had meals on the flight with real utensils and plates. So that's one of my Clear, very clear memories coming here, but, you know, a lot of it is a blur. And so I grew up in Honolulu for about a few years, and then I got the island fever and asked my parents, if you want me to really have as many opportunities and choices for education, I think we got to go to the mainland and was able to convince them to move to L.A. And, and from there, really wanted to experience winter. And that's what got me to Chicago for almost a dozen years. And um, it's been an amazing introduction to the United States of America, because if you can imagine the diversity, right, you know, from a very homogeneous uh, growing up in the Philippines and going to Honolulu and then L.A. and then Chicago, it's like, wow, what a great way to get to know America. 
somehow having watched you as a leader, I'm not surprised that at 14 years old, you took control of your own family and and defined the destiny for the next generation. Exactly. It, it just fits the Dr. Deconis I know. So one of the things I love about you, Dr. Deconis, is you speak your mind. And, no. you, and you and I have had many conversations about organizations such as ours taking a public stance on issues of public interest. Tell me a little bit about why you feel it's important that organizations take a stance on issues of public importance. I appreciate the program Kaiser Permanente and what we do and our mission, and I understand that there are things where we should be together on and speaking with one voice as one medical care program. Having said that, we should not subsume our identities, our physicians, the important social compact that we have with the members and patients for whom we are the primary advocates. When talking about, you know, separating families at the border or or talking about absurd immigration laws and, you know, the public charge things, those are the things where these have tremendous impact on the well-being of individuals. On the health of individuals. And and our communities and our societies. And so I've been a doctor longer than I've been in this role, and that's always going to be kind of my first go-to. When there's an issue and I'm confronted with an issue is that I'm a doctor first in more ways than, than I am a CEO first of a medical group. And as much as we can truly leverage that social compact and physician voice, I I think we should stand up. That's great. You know, I recall vividly a decade ago, one of my proudest moments in Kaiser Permanente was sitting around the table with all of the medical directors and myself, and they were discussing taking a position on domestic partner benefits. And the medical groups and the Mm -hmm. Permanente medical groups were the first place in Kaiser Permanente and, quite frankly, in most of medicine and in corporate America to say, no, this is an important health issue. This is an important societal issue. But standing up sometimes with courage is difficult and challenging, but important. Are there a couple of areas that you think corporations or Kaiser Permanente should be more active in advocating publicly for? When we talk about healthcare reform and transformation, there seems to be a, mo- a lot more conversation about payment reform than care delivery system reform. And I, I think there's not enough physician voice on this topic, and this is some place where we Permanente physicians and Permanente medicine can really be thought leaders on in terms of the care delivery system reform of, you know, how how we marry that with value base. We're not talking about how we organize care differently in addition to how we even attempt to pay for all of these things. But at the heart of it, I think that's where we as Permanente physicians can contribute to the discourse and the dialogue, of which there isn't enough. So I really just see an opportunity to to educate because I think first and foremost that's always the job of a physician any clinic visit one on one or for the community I, 
I always say or remind our doctors on Doctor's Day that we need to use the word doctor, uh, I think, more often because it comes from a Latin word derivative that really means to teach, docere, which really gets to the heart of what we should be doing when it comes to to many of these issues is really to teach. I couldn't agree with you more. Can you talk about the importance of developing the next generation of women and, quite frankly, educating the next generation of men on how equality, equal opportunities, and uh, respect and responsibility are important? How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a whole topic in of itself. I guess what I would say is, you know, we're, we're talking about half of the population in the world. So especially men, including men who have mothers, sisters, daughters, I think that's an important thing that we women keep in mind is that we recruit and re-recruit men who will be and are our allies in advancing women, you know, not just as professionals in, in whatever field it is, but also as you know, other human beings. But if we narrow this to women in medicine, I I wrote a a brief reflection on LinkedIn about when I think about the Me Too movement and and Hollywood, it seems they're ahead of the game compared to medicine. And and for many reasons, you know, there's still a lot. If if I'm a resident or if I'm a fellow and I, I see these posts all the time, how can I really feel safe to speak up or speak out when I need that attending's recommendation to move on to the next phase of my development as a physician in training? And then even when you are an attending, again, when you look at the leadership ladder, the fact that only just over 20% of professors in medical schools with full professorships are women, and only 15% are in department chair roles, and 16% of the deans in medical schools are women. As a woman going through your medical education and training, how can you really feel that you've arrived and have enough of uh, infrastructure and social support to be who you are and be able to speak up. So it, we we have a long way to go, and um, I think more than ever, if anything else, Permanente is leading the pack, I would say, from Permanente People Leadership Strategy Group that, that meets in, in looking at how we are promoting equity, inclusion, and diversity in our medical groups, including developing our female leaders. And when you talk about why this is important, I think when it hits people's pocketbook, People pay attention, so so the fact that when you look at businesses with higher diversity, uh, making as much as 20% or more profits compared to corporations that don't have that kind of diversity, maybe that will resonate uh, with some uh, because it will hit their pocketbook. But primarily, when you look at care teams and quality outcomes, you know, if we take it back to the physician and engaging their hearts and minds, it's really the outcomes for our patients, whether it's quality care experience, are better when they are taken care of by a diverse team. So two last questions. Reflecting back on your journey to get where you are today, what advice would you give to 
the 25-year-old Amelda DeConis. You know, uh, one of my regrets, and, and maybe regret is too strong a word, is I was so driven and focused on a straight path to a medical career, I didn't take time to, quote, smell the roses, right? And so one of the opportunities that I kind of ruled out for myself was an opportunity to study abroad in my undergraduate years because I thought, oh, that, you know, that'll take away a quarter or two and then I'm going to be starting medical school later than than what I had planned. And, you know, it's, it's always that what if, what if, what if. So I, I would tell myself, slow down. Don't close the doors. Life is too short. And frankly, in your 20s, you've got a long, long uh, ways ahead of you. Yeah. Self-love, self-compassion, experience uh, new opportunities mm-hmm. and horizons before right. you, you necessarily define that long-term yes. path. So we talked about the 20-year-old uh, Amelda <laughs> and... Now I want to just look into the future, Mm. and you've got a crystal ball in front of you, and you're predicting the future of medicine. What do you think are the one or two most profound innovations or changes that will shape healthcare in the future? Well, I mean, we've all heard artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of that. And, you know, that's not to say these things are going to replace physicians. What really, what I see the potential for them is that we take what you can automate out of the physician and really then create capacity in the physician to do more, explore more, and really have some energy, time, and space for that creation, for that innovation. Uh, that so much right now in our practice uh, are bogged down that in a lot of ways we're doing the same thing over and over that we can just as easily automate. So that's my hope and aspiration for AI or whatever we end up calling it and doing it and seeing it in medicine and then the second thing I would say is it goes back again to the reimagination and, and reengineering that no matter what, because technology is the enabler. Technology is not the physician. Technology is not the clinician. These are all the enablers. So as innovative and creative uh, the human species will be and can be, it's really blowing up the mindsets that box us into thinking this is the only way we can do it from how permanente medicine 3.0 or 4.0 will look like to what KP will look like in a world that's you know redefined to in the exam room or in the OR or in the procedure room really how we change our practicing care model beginning with us beginning with our mindsets that we explore more and we're open more to the possibilities. It's really a growth mindset, what will serve us and, and really is, is the potential for permanent medicine and, and, and all physicians and all people if we, if we are to evolve and get to the better versions of ourselves. That's great advice for all of our listeners and for ourselves. Well, Dr. Imelda DeConis, we have covered a lot of ground. This has been an amazing conversation, 
and it's always a pleasure to talk with you. No, thank you, Chris. I appreciate the time and opportunity, and thank you so much, uh, Permanente Nation, for tuning in. Absolutely. Thank you, Permanente Nation. That's our show for today. I'm Chris Grant, your host. Thank you for listening to the Permanente Medicine Podcast. You can stream our podcast by visiting permanente.org or by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time. The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of Kaiser Permanente, the Permanente Medical Groups, or the Permanente Federation.